into an arched vault big enough for a man to go through, a picture that walks out of its frame, a skeleton ghost in a hermit's cowl. When your expectation is wound up to the highest pitch, these circumstances take it down with a witness, destroy the work of imagination, and instead of attention, excite laughter. I was both surprised and vexed to find the enchantment dissolved, which I wished might continue to the end of the book, and several of its readers have confessed the same disappointment to me. The beauties are so numerous that we cannot bear the defects, but want it to be perfect in all respects. In the course of my observations upon this singular book, it seemed to me that it was possible to compose a work upon the same plan, wherein these defects might be avoided, and the keeping, as in painting, might be preserved. But then I begin to fear it might happen to me as to certain translators and imitators of Shakespeare. The unities may be preserved while the spirit is evaporated. However, I ventured to attempt it. I read the beginning to a circle of friends and approved judgment, and by their approbation was encouraged to proceed and to finish it. End of preface. The Old English Baron, a Gothic story by Clara Reeve, Part One. In the minority of Henry the Sixth. King of England, when the renowned John, Duke of Bedford, was regent of France, and Humphrey, the good Duke of Gloucester, was protector of England, a worthy knight, called Sir Philip Harclay, returned from his travels to England, his native country. He had served under the glorious King Henry V with distinguished valor, and had acquired an honorable fame, and was no less esteemed for Christian virtues than for deeds of chivalry. After the death of his prince, he entered into the service of the Greek emperor and distinguished his courage against the encroachment of the Saracens. In battle there, he took prisoner a certain gentleman by name Monsieur Zadisky, of Greek extraction, but brought up by a Saracen officer. This man he converted to the Christian faith, after which he bound him to himself by the ties of friendship and gratitude, and he resolved to continue with his benefactor. After thirty years' travel and warlike service, he determined to return to his native land and to spend the remainder of his life in peace and, by devoting himself to works of piety and charity, prepare for a better state hereafter. This noble knight had, in his early youth, contracted a strict friendship with the only son of the Lord Lovell, a gentleman of eminent virtues and accomplishments. During Sir Philip's residence in foreign countries, he had frequently written to his friend, and had for a time received answers. The last informed him of the death of old Lord Lovell, and the marriage of the young one. But from that time he had heard no more from him. Sir Philip imputed it not to neglect or forgetfulness, but to the difficulties of intercourse, common at that time to all travellers and adventurers. When he was returning home, he resolved, after looking into his family affairs, to visit the castle of Lovell and inquire into the situation of his friend. He landed in Kent, attended by his Greek friend and two faithful servants, one of which was maimed by the wounds he had received in the defense of his master. Sir Philip went to his family seat in Yorkshire. He found his mother and sister were dead, and his estates sequestered in the hands of commissioners appointed by the protector. He was obliged to prove the reality of his claim, and the identity of his person, by the testimony of some of the old servants of his family after which everything was restored to him. He took possession of his own house, established his household, 
settled the old servants in their former stations, and placed those he brought home in the upper offices of his family. He then left his friend to superintend his domestic affairs, and, attended by only one of his old servants, he set out for the castle of Lovell in the west of England. They traveled by easy journeys, but toward the evening of the second day the servant was so ill and fatigued he could go no further. He stopped at an inn where he grew worse every hour, and the next day expired. Sir Philip was under great concern for the loss of his servant, and some for himself, being alone in a strange place. However, he took courage, ordered his servant's funeral, attended it himself, and, having shed a tear of humanity over his grave, proceeded alone on his journey. As he drew near the estate of his friend, he began to inquire of everyone he met whether the Lord Lovell resided at the seat of his ancestors. He was answered by one, he did not know. By another, he could not tell. By third,